0: It's 1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, as we do on an almost daily basis. The first segment or two of the program is live streamed on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, play our parlor game. Did my wife dress me, or did I choose to dress myself? Unlike our news director, Eric Bilstad, who is looking very professional, collar shirt and a tie. All right, I've got the shirt on. I mean, I, I just... I mean, the operative question would be, would my lovely wife, who has, with the possible exception of her current choice of men, who has just exquisite taste, would she choose this particular shirt for me to wear in a given day? That becomes the question. But, Eric, you are looking particularly stylish today.
1: Oh, thank you, sir. I That's it. You
0: know, I get very, very professional. My, my only defense is this shirt. Probably cost more than any dress shirt that I that I own. So and that's just kind of the way it works. But go to Facebook.com slash six twenty WTMJ. You can watch and participate in the first segment or two of the program. Let us get to that point. Controversy yesterday and the acting sheriff, acting outgoing sheriff, Richard Smith, apparently was so sensitive to this that he, he felt a need to get ahead of this by having a news conference. Last evening to try to address these concerns. Here, here is the story, and I want to get your reaction to this. Now, apparently, yesterday afternoon, you had sheriff's deputies who were involved. It's about 315 in the afternoon, and they're, you know, in around 6th Street in, in Milwaukee. What happens is they are doing an investigative search. They're doing an investigative stop. Somebody who had allegedly pulled a, a knife on, on someone else, and it's that the sheriff's deputies are are there. What happens is a car speeds past them, um, regarded at about eighty miles an hour. The car goes by them, driving like a bat out of you know where. At which point in time, the sheriff's deputies jump in their car. They begin to pursue. The vehicle, the pursuit reaches speeds of, like I say, nearly 80 miles an hour, at which point in time the the driver at one point goes through a stop sign and then pulls over. And if you watch the the whole description of this, it appears that the driver, once he pulls over, thinks about taking off again and then thinks better of it. The sheriff's deputies get out of their car and they have their guns drawn. Alright, they've got their guns drawn. The guns aren't pointed directly at the driver or the passenger, but the police, they've got their guns out on this stop. And apparently, as they are approaching the car, the, the driver of the vehicle, who's a 26 year old man, says, why do you have your guns drawn? And then somebody in the background, it's not any of the sheriff's deputies, but you have these onlookers who are watching this. Somebody in the background yells, because you're not white. Okay. That's, and that's where this ends up going. The uh, driver of the car is not arrested he is issued a a whole bunch of tickets for reckless driving and the like but but he's not arrested nobody ends up getting shot but you've got apparently this guy on the in the background who's one of the bystanders who yells when the guy says why do you have your guns drawn he yells it's because you're not white that that's not a sheriff's deputy that ended up saying this and again they they issue a a whole bunch of tickets to the person and then end up sending him uh, essentially On his way, the car was towed because there were you know, some outstanding impoundment things on the car. But nobody is taken into custody. Nobody is shot. But the controversy, because number one, the sheriff's deputies exited their vehicle with their guns drawn, and then you have this comment in the background, and at first there was at least this allegation or an implication that it might have been a sheriff's deputy. That does not appear to be the case. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's, let's tee this up. Sheriff deputies get out of the car under these circumstances with their guns drawn. Is this because the driver of the vehicle was African American? Is this an overreaction? Should the police have handled this differently? Or is this just an example of Again, especially given what goes on on a daily basis in the city of Milwaukee and in Milwaukee County, is this just an example of good policing? Do you expect the sheriff's deputies to, well, have just gone up to the car without pulling their guns? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. Uh, I'll give you a hint on, on this one. I think it is unfortunate that we've now gotten to the point where people are so racially sensitive that now even a comment by a bystander requires the po- the county sheriff to have a press conference saying, no, 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 this didn't come from my guys. That does not appear to be the case. It wasn't one of the sheriff's deputies. And I, I can't imagine sheriff's deputy getting out of a car and the guy saying, why are you pulling your guns? And saying, well, it's because you're not white. So that, that just doesn't make any sense at all. So let's put that out aside. The sheriff's deputies got out of their car, guns drawn. Did they overreact? 414 799 1620. Once again, we are live streaming this on Facebook, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We are back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve seventeen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're streaming this segment Facebook Live, Facebook.com, 620 WTMJ. We do that with the uh, first segment or two of the program on a daily basis. All right, this is the current controversy. It is going national. Guy drives past sheriff's deputies yesterday at 80 miles plus an hour. They start to follow him. He starts to take off, blows through a stop sign. They then ultimately pull him over, stops the car. They think he's going to take off again, but he stops to his credit. The sheriff's deputies get out of the car. They've got their guns drawn, got their guns drawn. The guy who happens to be black says, why do you have your guns drawn? Some bystander says, well, it's because you're not white. All right, well, here's the bottom line. I think that under these circumstances, white, black, brown, or green, it is completely and totally appropriate for the sheriff's deputies to come out guns drawn with somebody driving in this particular fashion. They didn't put guns to the guy's head. They didn't force him out at gunpoint, but they were protecting themselves. And I think it is a completely appropriate response. Let's start with Dave in Greendale. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think?
2: I think it was, totally appropriate based on the fact that recently some of the officers have actually gotten killed when they're approaching vehicles and somebody pulls a gun right in their face. The other side of it is they're going through a safety zone already with the police having somebody pulled over. They're already putting the public at risk. All the officers are doing is they're trying to protect the rest of the public. The rest of the people that are out there, innocent bystanders by pulling up being safe, kind of make sure that they're protecting themselves. Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing, no problem or nothing to hide, they should be in compliance. They should get out, do what they're told to do. They can put their weapons away, and everything is fine. Well, right. I now, thought it was totally appropriate. Well,
0: exactly. Now, thanks for calling. And this is one of these deals where, if this had been, let's say, a different sort of circumstance, let's say instead of driving 80 or 85 miles an hour past the sheriff's deputies, blowing through the stop sign, if this had been a situation where. Okay, you're, you're driving down the road, and they say, hey, it's an expired plate, or it's a, um, I, I don't know, there's a tail light out or whatever. And under those circumstances, they get out of the car, guns drawn. All right, well, well, maybe then you at least have an argument. You know, why do you have your guns drawn? But that's not what we have here. I mean, we have somebody who is driving in a reckless fashion and the police, I think, have every right to protect themselves. The question is, you know, what what do you do? And apparently in this case, once they realize that there was not a threat to them, okay, the guns were holstered. There was no big deal with regard to this. But this is kind of I, I think, again, I understand that this is getting more attention because on the tape you've got the guy in the crowd who's yelling, they pulled your guns because you're, you know, because you're not white. But, okay, so I understand that that's the reason it's getting at least a little bit more attention. But the underlying behavior of the sheriff's department, I, I think, is completely and totally appropriate. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hey, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Um, they failed to mention the fact that the car had
1: black window tint, very heavy window tint. Mm-hmm. And the officers could not determine how many people were inside that vehicle. Right. So they had every right in the world to pull the guns out. They were just protecting themselves and anybody else in the area.
0: Right. Exactly. And and it's not like, again, they pull the people out at gunpoint and put the guns to their heads or anything. They were protecting themselves, trying to assess what is going on here. And once they realized that there wasn't a threat, they holster the guns. They give the guy a citation or series of citations. They did impound the car because there were problems with the car, but they handled it perfectly appropriately. And I don't think they should be, you know, at I don't think they should be criticized in any way, shape or form.
4: Not at all. They're trained
1: to do that. They were just doing their job. They do what they do every day. Right. Unfortunately, no. unfortunately it was just caught on video.
0: Well, right. Thanks for call. But, I mean, again, in, now, I, I understand the reason the, the acting sheriff feels compelled to have this news conference last night is because you've got the person in the crowd who's screaming. In, in, res- in response to the driver who says, why do you have your guns drawn? My question would have been, Why did you drive at 85 miles an hour through the stop sign, idiot? That would be my question. But, I mean, I understand that because things are so racially intensified around here that, you know, any implication that it might have been a sheriff's deputy who said that, the 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 sheriff wants to get ahead of that. So I, I get it. That's why they had the press conference. He wants to come out clearly and say, look, this is... You hear this on the tape, but it's not my guys that are saying it. And obviously we can't control what somebody in the crowd screams. So I I get why he did it. He wants to get a a handle on this. And I, I think. Unless there's some evidence that I don't hear anybody suggesting that it was one of the sheriff's deputies that said that, and that would make absolutely no sense to me under these circumstances. Then it just goes to the other question of, is it wrong to come out and, you know, draw your guns? And my argument would be, under these circumstances, I I think you're almost always, almost always going to be greeted by by officers who draw guns. Don't run from the cops. Let's talk to Paul in Heartland. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Hey, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Uh you're right, this is a high risk traffic stop in any felony. Uh, it's car, car theft, looting, this is an attempted to loot an officer, uh, or anything that's a felony case. They call it a high risk traffic stop, as you know. Right. And a high risk traffic stop encompasses getting out of the car with the guts drawn and gets verbal plans. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, I'm guessing they did even know the race was yeah. It's just standard operating procedure in all high risk traffic stops. In a high risk traffic stop, Right, Uh, not speeding, but a felon, and that's the way it is. And your best bet
0: is do what they tell you to do. Right, and and that's exactly what happened here. The guy ultimately ended up stopping. The police put the the deputies, sheriff's deputies, you know, holstered their guns. They did the investigation. They issued the citations, and then everybody went around their along their business. But initially, the police don't know what they have, and I think they behave perfectly appropriately.
5: Under the circumstances,
0: because the
5: standard, is that's that's how they do high-risk drugs.
0: Right, right. Now, thanks, Nicole. See, this is why, and this goes back to this larger issue, and it's a point I tried to make repeatedly when we were having the discussion about should the police pursue or not. Here, here's the bottom line. most Most times, authorities, law enforcement people, don't know why, for example, somebody's run. You, you you don't know what it is that caused somebody to take off. Is there a body in the trunk? Are there guns in the car? Are they drunk? You just don't know. Are they just joyriding? Is the car stolen? You you just don't know. So when you limit police ability to pursue saying, okay, you can only do this if you could prove it's a felony, which is what they insanely did in Milwaukee for years, you, you were just going to have people run all the time because the cops, as a general rule, almost always don't know why somebody takes off. Well, when you see somebody driving in this reckless sort of fashion at high rates of speed, you you just don't know why it is that somebody is doing that. So you have to be in a position to protect yourself. This is one of these examples where candidly, I, I think the sheriff's deputies behaved completely appropriately. No harm, no foul. Unfortunately, you've got the racial component that's added in now because everybody is on a razor's edge when it comes to this. And I guess it is fair to say, okay, was there a sheriff's deputy that said this? But once you make it clear that it's not a sheriff's deputy, to me, this is a routine traffic stop, admittedly a high-risk traffic stop, but something that is completely and totally appropriate, case closed. 1225 Jeff Wagner WTMJ we got a lot of great stuff on today's program the mayor of Wauwatosa wants to increase your taxes by $800,000 truth isn't truth what was Rudy Giuliani trying to say and when we come back in a couple minutes I'm going to try to make sense of this New York Times story suggesting that well maybe President Trump is in a lot of trouble because the White House counsel is cooperating Stick around. I will make sense out of all the weekend's developments in Trump and Mueller and Russia. It's 1226. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Racken, WTMJ. Okay, we're no longer live streaming on Facebook. We'll do that for the first segment or two of every program. You can check it out. Join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th at the Brewers Community Foundation's Hitting for the Cycle event. Together we'll conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park, followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the Cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program, For more information or to sign up, text the word CARES to 414-799-1620. WTMJ CARES is presented by First Bank Financial Center. If on a daily basis you would like to get a head start on some of the things that we are discussing, I invite you to follow me on Twitter because I try to send out a series of tweets talking about some of the things that we are going to discuss and giving links. It's um, at JeffWagner620. And as people... Matter of fact, a couple people came up to me over the weekend and said, we don't get a chance to listen to the entire show, but we love listening to what's the word? The podcast. You can go to WTMJ.com, dot com, click on the mobile apps and subscribe to the podcast. We post it on a daily basis and you can check it out. Speaking of of checking it out, I, I admit that there are stories about when we talk about Foxconn, I just there's I want to bang my head from time to time. Because it's interesting how stuff gets politicized. If under, for example, the administration of Governor Jim Doyle, he had figured out a way to bring a transformative company to southeastern Wisconsin, 13,000 jobs, many of the people, plus all the other jobs that are going to spring up around it, many of the people that are now saying, oh, this is terrible, would be applauding it. Here's another one of these stories. One of the arguments about Foxconn has been, well, it it just benefits southeastern Wisconsin. Well, that's just ridiculous because you have people from all over the state who are coming to southeastern Wisconsin right now. Construction workers are piling into southeastern Wisconsin to to do those jobs. But what is Foxconn doing? They're saying, okay, I'll tell you what, we want to be a presence in the state. So we're going to be doing something in Green Bay. We're going to be doing something in Eau Claire. And, And so Foxconn announces That they're planning to build an innovation center in downtown Eau Claire. All right. Um, they purchased more than 15,000 square feet of a working space in this Haymarket Landing, which is part of this effort at redeveloping downtown Eau Claire. All right. Now, you would think that this would be a good thing. I swear I have in my story, in my hands, a a story. There are people up in Eau Claire which are criticizing. Foxconn for bringing jobs to Eau Claire and locating in this area. Groove's producing the show. You want to guess why? Because they wanted a restaurant in the space where Foxconn is going to be. Well, we were hoping for a restaurant, and now it's going to be Foxconn. Give me a blanking break. I I mean, really, it has come to this. You can put restaurants anywhere you want. But now it's oh we we but this Foxconn, this evil Foxconn, they're gonna be creating jobs and building this innovation center and oh but but it could have been a restaurant. It just shows you just how difficult it is to get stuff done nowadays. If I'm Foxconn, if I'm these people who run Foxconn, I swear I must be looking at Wisconsin going, there are people there that are just flat out crazy. You mean rather than us doing this innovation center, they they want a restaurant? Huh. And I'm not anti restaurant, don't get me wrong. I'm just like really pro-businesses. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, I will try to explain and make sense out of everything that happened with President Trump and the New York Times and Russia over the weekend. It's 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Developments, interesting stories over the weekend involving President Trump and the ongoing Russia investigation. New York Times starts this all off. Now, let me let me just back up for a, a second here. and I want to try to put stuff in perspective. I I do not believe, as I've said repeatedly, that journalists are the enemy of of the people. I, I don't. I think the object what I've said about the, the whole claims about fake news is that candidly, I, I think. In some respects, while President Trump overdoes it, if members of the media are concerned about well, people saying like they fake news, well, maybe maybe they should be more careful with some of the things they print. And I think clearly there there is an agenda. The, the New York Times, and the best way I can describe this, the, the New York Times was the subject of this four part documentary that, that Showtime did called The Fourth Estate, and it was interesting because it followed the political reporters who covered Trump for President Trump for the first year of his administration if you watch this it is very apparent to me that the political reporters at the new york times loathe president trump that they, they loathe him and and that's the best word that i could use to describe it they think it's an illegitimate president the presidency they think he's a liar they and they just they they loathe him and then they also don't like the fact that he pushes back and the fake news and the stuff like that. So it, it's not a good relationship at all, which is what I think affects the spin that is given on stories because there's always a way you can present things and depending on, on what your agenda is. And yes, I think, for example, the New York Times has an agenda. They they want to be the newspaper that brings down this president. And so there is a spin that is given to stuff. The big story over the weekend is White House counsel, Don McGahn, who's been a Trump confidant. He is the lawyer for the president. I'll get to the distinction between being the lawyer for the president and the lawyer for President Trump in just a minute. Um, but the, the report, the breathtaking report in the New York Times over the weekend is it now turns out that Don McGahn, the White House counsel, has been cooperating with the Mueller investigation to the point that he sat down. Apparently, there's been 30 hours of, of interviews. Now, the reason he was able to do that is because the White House waived any claim of executive privilege to allow him to, to do this. So the spin in the New York Times is, okay, this could be it for President Trump because he's he's here you have the White House counsel who's now cooperating with uh, the law enforcement investigators. Well of course the flip side, like I say, is he's doing that because the White House has said, fine, go ahead, sit down and and do this. All right, let me just kind of give you just a little bit of background on attorney-client privilege and things like that. Typically, if you were to go out and you were to hire an attorney and you would sit in that attorney's office and discuss your particular issue with him or her, that conversation is covered by what is known as attorney-client privilege, which means the attorney accepted certain very limited exceptions. The attorney is not allowed to discuss what you discuss with him or her with other people. There are certain exceptions, but they're, they're limited kind of exceptions. And the idea behind attorney client privilege is if somebody is going to use their right to counsel, you know, you, you need to be able to tell your attorney things without worrying that your attorney is going to turn around and tell other people stuff. So that's the basis for attorney client privilege. All right. So that's why for example that this Michael Cohen who was a personal attorney for Donald Trump right they have attorney client privilege that that's there that's why i think cohen is such a despicable person that he is recording his client and then apparently sharing privileged conversations that just it, it it's it's stunningly unethical but of course that's the argument is why, if you're Donald Trump, why would you associate with somebody like a, like a Michael Cohen? Another story suggests that Michael Cohen's looking at like $20 million in bank fraud, and he's under investigation for that. But that's attorney-client privilege. Now, this guy that was the subject of the stories in the New York Times, the one who's now apparently cooperating with the special prosecutor, Don McGahn, he is the White House counsel. Now, follow me for just a second because it gets a little complex. As the White House counsel, he is not the lawyer for Donald Trump, the individual. He, he's not. He is the lawyer who represents the office of the presidency. And Donald Trump is the current occupant of, of that office. I and mean, so the, the client is the office of the presidency. Now, again, Donald Trump is the current Occupant, so since he is the president, he is essentially the the supervisor. I I bring this up because most lawyers, myself included, think that as far as attorney-client privilege, there's really no attorney-client privilege between the office of the White House Counsel and Donald Trump as an individual. There is, however, the concept of executive privilege, Which means that a member of the executive branch, in this case, the president, you know, has the right to say to the people he deals with, all right, this is going to be confidential. What we say to each other, you know, you cannot disclose to other branches of government. That's the whole concept of executive privilege. During Watergate, Richard Nixon tried to rely on executive privilege to stop turning over documents and to limit You know, what certain aides could say to the general public or to investigators. Bill Clinton used executive privilege as well. Donald Trump and the Trump administration has never asserted a claim of executive privilege. They've never asserted a claim of attorney client privilege. They have said to people, you know, who were involved in the decision making process to fire James Comey or whatever they have said you can in fact cooperate now in many senses now so the new york times writes this breathtaking story about how the white house counsel is cooperating with special with the special prosecutor well the white house counsel is only cooperating because the trump administration allowed him to do it and yet the spin in the new york times is this is somehow something nefarious wall street journal has an interesting Piece on this i want to share it with you and then we're going to open up the phone lines about this whole Russian investigation that's coming up stick around 1244 jeff wagner wtmj 1247 jeff wagner wtmj okay so over the weekend and this was of course the lead on all the talking head shows this breathtaking report from the new york times well the the white house counsel don McGahn, he's cooperating with the special prosecutors what could this possibly mean Here's an interesting thing. And, again, he McGahn cooperates. The only reason he's cooperating or allowed to cooperate is because President Trump waived any claim that he might have to executive privilege, wouldn't have attorney-client privilege, but would have executive privilege, and said, go ahead, cooperate, Do, You know, tell them whatever they want. Now, the New York Times has turned this into, I don't know, this is this grand conspiracy. Look, now, this is going to be it. If Barack Obama had done the same thing, similar sort of situation, the story in the New York Times would be President Obama has nothing to hide because he's even going so far as waiving any claim of executive privilege and letting the prosecutors interview his personal attorney. Richard Nixon fought on executive privilege. Bill Clinton fought on executive privilege. Trump doesn't. And yet this is turned into this must be the smoking gun about Trump. Let me share a portion of a Wall Street Journal editorial with you that runs this morning. Trump waves the privilege. Donald Trump has a credibility problem, but so does the media. A case in point is the weekend story that White House counsel Don McGahn has cooperated with the special counsel Robert Mueller. Let's try to navigate through this Beltway Hall of Mirrors. The thesis of the New York Times story is that Mr. McGahn cooperated in a way that could hurt Donald Trump in order to protect himself and because he doesn't trust the president. This fits with the media narrative that Mr. Trump is covering up his collusion with Russia and his obstruction of justice, and thus Mr. McGahn must be scrambling to save himself. Yet lost in the resulting tempest is a critical fact that appears to contradict the spin. Mr. Trump had to waive executive privilege for Mr. McGahn to cooperate with Mr. Mueller. Mr. McGahn is not Mr. Trump's personal attorney, so attorney-client privilege isn't the issue. That's what I just told you. But as White House counsel, McGahn represents the presidency. He is a careful enough lawyer to advise Mr. Trump that agreeing to answer Mr. Mueller's questions would waive executive privilege. And the Times report that McGahn's attorney said on the record that he cooperated only after Mr. Trump waived any privilege claim. All right. So then it goes on to say, this isn't what you'd expect if Mr. Trump is leading a cover up. Could it be that Mr. Trump let Mr. McGann cooperate with the prosecutor because he felt he had nothing to cover up? This is precisely what Mr. Trump tweeted Saturday. I have allowed him and all others to testify. I didn't have to. I have nothing to hide. Then the uh, article in the Wall Street Journal continues, the editorial. Because Mr. Trump makes so many false statements, this claim is also assumed to be false. though legal logic and public evidence suggests that it may, in this case, be true. Keep in mind that Mr. Trump's lawyers cooperated extensively with Mr. Mueller for months, turning over tens of thousands of documents, also without claiming executive privilege. I and mean, here, here is the bottom line. There is this media narrative that, oh, there's this huge investigation and you have all these dominoes that are beginning to fall. But the flip side is that this is all happening because President Trump has allowed everybody around him to cooperate with the Mueller investigation, including attorneys, including other people who were involved. They've turned over tens of thousands of documents. Is this the behavior of somebody who really thinks they have something to hide? All right, I want to open up the phone lines. One segment, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Has this Russia investigation gone on long enough? Now, I don't think President Trump should fire Robert Mueller, but at the same time, This is now, you know, you're you're going well into the second year of, of this investigation. You have a special counsel who really has pretty much had access to anything and anyone he wants. And yet, you know, we're still apparently back to square one. Is it time to wind this thing down one way or the other? If you believe you've got charges, is it time to poop or get off the pot? and then move on. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. My answer would be yes. I, If there's evidence to believe that there is a conspiracy involving the President of the United States and Russia to fix the election in 2016, I, I think that report should come out, whether it's charges against the President or a recommendation that might lead to impeachment, that's fine. Otherwise, I think it's time to start to wrap this thing up, especially given the fact that we start to learn more and more and more about how, at least in this particular case, President Trump has been incredibly open with allowing the special prosecutor to have access to individuals and documents that would shed light on this issue. We discuss in just a minute. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner. 1255 Jeff Wagner WTMJ coming up in about 12 minutes the mayor of Wauwatosa wants to raise your taxes if you live in that city by $800,000 a year we'll discuss Jason in Mequon Jason good afternoon
3: Hey, good afternoon Jeff Um, it was time to wrap this thing up a long time ago already if they had any evidence whatsoever between leaking and everybody's going after Trump and stuff like that they would have had something a long time ago, so they have nothing.
0: Well, and, and especially given the fact that every, I mean, that, and, Okay, I, I understand why President Trump gets some of the heat he gets, but in this particular situation, he hasn't been Bill Clinton. He hasn't been Richard Nixon. He said, okay, I'm going to turn over documents. You're not going to have to fight for them. I'm going to give you access. you want access to you know, people around me, including the lawyer for the president? I'm not going to assert executive privilege. Talk to him for 30 hours. And the New York Times spins this as, okay, maybe you've got something going on. Well, he couldn't have cooperated unless the president said talk to him. Uh, right. It's frustrating. No, thanks to that. See that. That's what's aggravating about this. And and I, for people who who don't like the fact that all right, some people take on the news media or things like this. It's when you take stories and you try to spin them. As I said a couple minutes ago, there is no doubt in my mind. Similar situation. If this were Barack Obama, the story would have been. Barack Obama, nothing to hide. He waves executive privilege and allows his personal attorney, the White House counsel, to sit there and discuss stuff that's clearly subject to executive privilege. But he waves it because he's got nothing to hide. But because it's Trump, the story is: Oh, this is going to be the this is going to be other shoe that fell. You know, he waived executive privilege. Think of what the guy might say. Huh. Phil in Cedarburg, Phil, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Yeah, I think one thing that might be getting lost here. Is uh, these guys are getting paid on this investigation? This is literally a dream gig. They get to they get to decide when this investigation ends. They can just bill forever. I don't know what these guys are getting paid, but I'm guessing they're not on government paychecks. There, they're getting they're get, they're billing as consultants and outside attorneys on this
0: thing. Well, some oh, are, some yeah. are, but yeah, you know, right, right. You have an you essentially have an unlimited budget that goes on for as long as you decide not, not a bad gig huh you know and, and you don't and you don't have to worry you don't have i mean you don't have to worry gee is there going to be a client that's going to pay for this or if i submit the bill you know that the client might say wait this isn't worth all that no you you just get to bill whatever you want pretty much they do have a blank check
5: do we have any idea what some of these people are getting paid do we what? do we do, do we know what, what molars Billable rate is per hour. I mean, do you have any idea what these guys are getting paid? I'm I'm guessing it's a small fortune.
0: Well, no, I think no, I think it's probably. Thanks for calling. I think it's a I think it's a large it's a large fortune. I, and that's that's always been one of the issues with the with special counsel um, or special prosecutors, depending on how they're appointed, that you can just kind of the, the meter runs and it runs and it runs and it runs. Look, I I think, and I, I've said this all along. I think investigations have logical ending points. I I don't think you can let stuff go on forever. And like I say, if they believe that there is evidence that there was, I don't like the word collusion. That's not a crime. And the president uses collusion instead of conspiracy. If they have evidence that there was a conspiracy between the president or members close to him, the campaign and Russia to try to influence, to try to affect the election. Well, I, I think some people deserve to be charged and you need to, I'm not sure you can indict a sitting president either for that, but it, it certainly arguably would be grounds for impeachment. Do the report and suggest that and put it out there. This is not good for the country that this goes on and on and on. And uh, again, you have people in the media that are trying to spin the story in a way that they want. All right. We'll see. It's 110. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Wauwatosa has become sort of the Shorewood of the West. That, that's how I would describe it. For years and years and years, Shorewood was the place where lefty UWM professors, once they got tenure, they would move. And now now it's just like all the lefty UWM professors, they don't even need tenure. They just kind of live in Shorewood. And Shorewood has always been sort of like a little version of the People's Republic of Madison, which is which is fine. That's how would chooses to be. Over the years, though, Wawatosa really wasn't that type of community, but things have changed dramatically over the last several years as Wawatosa starts to urge and lurch further and further to the left. This is the, this Wawatosa that is considering becoming a sanctuary city. Yes, there, there are members of the Common Council who think we should become a sanctuary city, which all that will do is invite litigation, lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera. But they're, they're considering doing that. This is the, the same Wawatosa where the, the mayor and members of the common council have come up with, approved or signed off on an idea which would cost millions of dollars to take away lanes of traffic along some of the busiest thoroughfares and convert them to like high speed. And and this high speed is in quotation marks bus lines. So you can run a bus from downtown out to the medical college um, in, I don't know, 13 minutes instead of 20 minutes or seven minutes instead of 15 minutes, whatever it might be at, at an expense of, well, millions of dollars and, of course, taking away lanes of traffic that people need. But it's this, it's this lurch to the left. You have the mayor who's come out and denounced big box retail stores. Okay. Well, despite the fact that, you know, one of the reasons that people like to shop is they like to be able to shop at big box retail stores. But now we come to the latest proposal that, that, that Waukesha, I'm sorry, Wauwatosa is going to be considering. And that is just like Milwaukee. The city of Wauwatosa is now considering imposing a thirty-dollar wheel tax as a privilege of registering your vehicle in the city of Wauwatosa. Now, let's review the bidding here. Right now, everybody who owns a car and keeps it properly registered—those are not the same two things—pays uh, seventy-five bucks to the state of Wisconsin. You, know, you get that notification every year. You know your registration is due. It's a seventy-five-dollar fee. If you live in Milwaukee County, Chris Abley charges you an extra 30 bucks for the privilege of keeping your car in Milwaukee County. So everybody in Milwaukee County pays $105 right now in registration fees. Now in the city of Milwaukee, they've got an extra wheel tax tacked onto that, which is for the, again, the privilege of keeping your car registered in the city of Milwaukee currently Wauwatosa does not have a wheel tax the mayor wants to have Wauwatosa impose a $30 wheel tax as part of their budget for next year so this would mean if you live in Wauwatosa for each car you own you would be paying uh, per year you would be paying let's see 75 plus 30 is 105 another 30 you'd be paying $135 to the state, the county, and the city for the privilege of, again, the privilege of of having your car and keeping your car registered in Wauwatosa. This would generate, this would be about an $800,000 per year tax increase on the people in Wauwatosa. Now, what I love about this story is the way the mayor presents this is, we We could actually this this could save money now you might say okay wait you're you're taking eight hundred thousand dollars a year from again taxpayers. How would this end up saving money? Well, they say, okay, well, we want to do these road improvements. typically, what we do is we borrow to to do this, but by getting the eight hundred thousand every year up front, well, we don't have to borrow as much, so um interest costs would be less down the road so in the long run. In the long run, by making people pay $800,000 more a year, maybe we could be saving some people money in the long run. All right, but but this is the issue. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, you pay a wheel tax. More and more communities are considering doing this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, keep in mind, the Milwaukee County Executive, Chris Abley, he desperately wants to double the wheel tax. He wants to take it from sixty dollars from thirty dollars to sixty bucks. Remember that's what his initial proposal was. It got shot down on a referendum, and at least for the moment, the Milwaukee um the county board has been unwilling to go along with it. But this is one of his primary things. He wants to raise the wheel tax to sixty bucks. Will he be able to succeed? Maybe, maybe not. Now an extra thirty dollar wheel tax for Wauwatosa. for Wawatosa. Let's tee this up for, and this is, this is something that it's not just Wawatosa. This is something that a number of communities have either put into place or are exploring as a way to generate revenue. So what is your sense? Whether you live in Wawatosa or you live in other communities, do you object to an extra level of taxation? For the privilege essentially of owning your car and keeping it registered in your particular area. And again, keep in mind, this is, this is per car. So let's say you have two cars in your family or maybe husband and wife and you've got a couple teenage kids and you actually have three cars. So this would be $135 per car. So what does that translate into? Two cars, $270 per year. Um, that you would pay for that privilege. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you feel, Wauwatosa or otherwise, about wheel taxes as a way to generate revenue? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Stick around. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Wauwatosa. The People's Republic of is one of the communities considering exploring additional ways to raise your taxes. The mayor is recommending a $30 wheel tax. Now, keep in mind, right now, you pay a $75 state registration fee. If you live in Milwaukee County, you pay 30 bucks on top of that for the privilege. And Chris Abley wants to take it to $60. do not be surprised if that happens sometime soon. In Wawatosa, the mayor wants to impose a $30 wheel tax. They estimate it would raise about $800,000 per year on top of all the other taxes. What do you think? Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: Hi. Good afternoon, Good
0: Jeff. afternoon, uh, Bill.
5: Great idea. The only thing is I don't think I would call Wawatosa the People's Republican. here's why. I used to live there. My family's from there. And uh, we don't live there anymore, but uh, that's a bit much. But here we go. Um We've saved a lot in taxes, you know that. We've had some tax cuts and all that. Uh, And now it appears the wave of the future is for communities creating, you know, taking care of themselves, a little more self-reliance. This leads to that self-reliance, kind of like school districts, you know, uh, raising taxes for things they need. I don't see any problem with something like that at all.
0: Well, so, I mean, I guess the question becomes – um, does the community want to increase their own taxes? And that's what the discussion is. I mean, do the people what? who might be reg- why because right. they don't because people don't want to pay an extra thirty dollars in, in a wheel tax every year for a car?
5: Well, we would all love to live for nothing. I mean that would be nice or you know have no responsibility there are communities, but we don't get the state aid we used to and that's okay. I, I don't see issues with that. So uh, it's up to the communities to create their own tax. Yes, I, I think a tax is fair, you know, there are good taxes and there's bad taxes, and when the tax goes for the people, and not something else, uh, there is what is wrong with the tax that literally helps the community.
6: Well, I
0: mean, thank you, but Bill, that, I mean that's silly. I mean, that, you you can argue well every tax helps the community. We we you know we should approve every school spending referendum that's there because if if you don't, it, it's it's anti. Education. I mean, don't don't you care about the kids? And, and this is the idea that okay, you know, we we want to try to raise additional revenue because we want to improve the roads. Well, okay, nobody has objection to taking care of potholes and improving that. But the question becomes: Is this the best way to do it? Do you need to generate revenue in this particular fashion? And what is going to be the effect of this? Is this going to, I don't know, maybe cause more people to avoid having to register their, their cars? Um, what, where do you draw the line on this? Now, again, if, if people in a particular community decide we don't have a problem with that, then, then you get what you deserve. I mean, there, there's just no question uh, about it. Keep in mind, though. I, I think again, you've got the seventy-five dollars state registration fee. Milwaukee County's right now is thirty bucks, but Chris Abley is hell bent on doubling that to sixty bucks. So then, let's say you add again another thirty dollars tax in Wauwatosa. So where are you? You know, one hundred and sixty-five bucks potentially, at least one hundred thirty-five dollars for sure. Does it become? prohibitive four one four seven nine nine one six twenty 799 and what is the effect of it now this is why we are again having a discussion i don't live in wauwatosa so if, if wauwatosa you decide that this is what you want to do you want to contribute an extra 30 bucks that that's that's fine that's fine just be aware of what you're doing danny in west allis danny you're in wtmj good afternoon how you doing jeff hi danny what do you think
3: oh i'm angry um I just recently moved to uh, Milwaukee County. And when I heard about the, the extra wheelchairs right there, I was like, "Oh, come on. It is ridiculously expensive in this county to mm. license a, a vehicle. And it's amazing when I look at other counties, other states and everything and I see the costs involved in that and it's so exponentially different. Right. I can I can't get over it.
0: Well, so right, now, the, right, the question becomes, gee, why does Wauwatosa have to do this when other communities don't?
3: Well, because, well, like the last caller, he basically sounds like he's got extra money laying around not doing anything. You uh, know, I mean, he's talking like everybody's making 80000 to $100,000 a year, right. and you just go ahead and waste money on
0: taxes. Well, wheel tax and thanks to call. Wheel taxes are very regressive. And we were talking about Chris Abel, that when he wanted to first of all impose the tax and then raise it to sixty bucks. By regressive we mean this impacts people with less means more than it impacts people with you know larger means. You know, you you've got somebody who's making eighty or hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, you know, an extra Thirty bucks, or again, assuming you've got two cars in your family, or maybe three, an extra $30, $60, 90 sixty, ninety bucks—not necessarily that big a deal. Um, people with less means, more limited means, it is a big deal. Terry in Wawatosa. Terry, you're on WTMJ.
7: Yeah, Jeff, I I live in Wawatosa and I'm I was in the midst of uh, a little a little tiff with my one of my aldermen because um, uh, I would I would beg to differ with a couple of callers ahead of me indicating that we are not becoming the people's republic of
0: wauwatosa right. you, a sanctuary sanctuary, sanctuary city i mean time. yeah i mean just you could do a sanctuary city to yeah. getting rid of lanes of traffic for chris ably's you know high speed bus lane i mean it's it's starting no question about it
7: i'm hoping to make it to
0: retirement um okay well tell me over oh, tell me ter- terry tell me why why do you oppose a wheel tax in wauwatosa
7: well because i uh personally i don't think our streets are in that a condition which I assume is what the wheel tax is for although this is the this is the first I've heard of it
0: so. yeah no it, it's to right the that would be the idea They they want they want the added wheel tax with the idea that they they want to do infrastructure infrastructure updates um, they want to pay for road work over the next 25 years.
7: I, that sounds like 30 bucks this year, 60 bucks next year, and $90 a year. Yeah, well,
0: I, right. it on, it on that. I got no thank, thanks for the call. No, I mean, it's, you You know, you just here, heard it here. And, again, you you get to decide. I mean, this is the thing. You get to decide which way you want to go. Mike in Wauwatosa. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
7: Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Real quick, I've been a resident of Wauwatosa for some 30 years, and I really see a change in this community in terms of governance. This sanctuary city stuff, this uh, – Wheel tax, this we have all, uh, huge school referendums coming up. The community—I mean, you take North Avenue—they redid it once, they redid it a second time. They're just looking for ways to spend money, and and I'm quite discouraged in this community. It, it's just nonsense. Well, and wheel tax specifically, to me, in a way, it's a hidden tax. I mean, let, let's be upfront with our taxes and use the property taxes. I've heard the rationale that we're going to do this tax to get at the apartment dwellers of which I'm not, I own a home. But that's foolish too. We've increased our tax base with the building of of housing units. And those renters pay their taxes through their rent to their landlord who pays the taxes. The the community has just lost its sense of governance.
0: Well, now thanks for the call, Mike. I'm just, I'm just telling you that this is out there. It is something for people to decide. But if you think it's going to stop at thirty bucks, I think you're you're extremely naive. I have a text here. The disease is spreading. The mayor of Lacrosse has now proposed this. Also, sure. And, and they figure, okay, it's thirty bucks. All right, pe- people aren't going to notice that. And even if you got two cars at sixty bucks, people aren't going to notice that. Well, I don't know. Drip, 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 drip. It's one twenty-seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. President Trump will be a factor in the Wisconsin elections in November. Really he help or hurt Governor Scott Walker? John McCure explores. Tune in four thirty four on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Now, just spent the last twenty minutes or so railing against the idea of the People's Republic of Wauwatosa imposing a, a wheel tax. And my, my prediction is, unfortunately, this is the wave of the future. I, I think. In Milwaukee County, uh, the county executive, he's made no bones about the fact that he wants to increase this substantially. Um, I, I think it all likelihood sooner or later, is going to get enough of his people on the county board that they're going to support that. So, I mean, I, I think this is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg that you're seeing. Having said that, I am somewhat sympathetic to the problems that Milwaukee County have. And it, it goes back, it goes back 15 plus years and I predicted this at the time, and it has come to pass. I mean, it is the ghost of the late Tom Amitt that continues to haunt us. And one of the reasons, a number of people, especially people who are new to this area, say, how come Milwaukee County is such a fiscal mess? And a lot of it, the truth is, it goes back to the former county executive, the late Tom Amitt, and members of the county board Who signed off on what has become the, the pension scandal. Now, I bring this up because there's a story in the Journal Sentinel about how, uh, acting sheriff, um, Richard Schmidt, who, who lost in the election, he is now going to retire. Now, he's been with the sheriff's department for 30 plus years. Okay. And when he finally retires, he, like many of the long-term, higher-paid, Officials are able to retire if they choose with a boatload of money money that would make i don 't i don 't know it just it is incredible when you think of people who worked for the public being able to retire with this type of money now here 's the deal Dan Bice reporting that if, if if he chooses to take his his backdrop payment and for people who might not be familiar with the pension scandal. Back in the early aughts, the county executive and members of his little cabal with the approval of the county board who said they just didn't realize this was going to be the effect, approved something that was supposed to be revenue neutral. And what it was, was it essentially allowed people to retire and take a a backdrop payment where they get a whole bunch of cash. Well, the way this has worked out because people didn't do the math and people didn't understand what they were signing off on, is it is allowed, again, well-paid, long-standing county employees to retire and collect a ton of money in addition to their pensions, in addition to their regular pensions. For Richard Schmidt, the estimate is that when he retires after the, the new guy takes over in January, if he chooses, he could take a lump sum payment, Of $810,000. Not bad. $810,000 that comes from the county taxpayers. On top of that, he would also be eligible for, let's see, let's run the numbers, a yearly pension of almost $73,000 a year. Now, A lot of times, you know, people are presented with options. Do you want cash or do you want to take the money over time? But $810,000 up front and then $73,000 per year. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't fault the, the acting sheriff if he takes that money. I mean, if somebody were stupid enough to come and say, Jeff, here's this giant sum of money and we're going to give you what I think most people would figure would be a pretty good pension on top of that. Well, of course, you're, you're going to say yes. I mean, you've seen people in the district attorney's office. Journal Sentinel points out that in November, one of the senior district attorneys, um, Gail Shelton, received a lump sum payment of $1.5 million. That is a check from the county for $1.5 million. And- and she was going to uh, be able to collect money on top of that on a yearly basis. I mean, it's just, it is stunning how this has operated. And I am somewhat sympathetic to Chris Abley because the, the county is limited. The county is paying out millions and millions and millions of dollars in these backdrop payments as more and more of the long-term employees, especially the highly paid ones, retire, and then you've got the pension payments on top of this. So the, the Milwaukee County pension scandal really, I mean, again, it is that awful gift that keeps on giving because the truth of the matter is Milwaukee County is going to be financially strapped for a long time trying to dig out from under this, which is why... It's what happens when people aren't watching, and this is the classic example of that. So I I rail on spending in Milwaukee County, even though I no longer live in Milwaukee County, and I rail on some of the spending. At the same time, I am somewhat sympathetic because you had a bunch of either crooked or incompetent or clueless people out there who relied on bad advice, who didn't think enough to ask the questions that should be asked or who knew what was going on and decided, hey, this is going to be something sweet without realizing the full implications of it. But the bottom line is it shows how a community can be devastated for decades. And this is a real problem because in Milwaukee County, you, you've you got big spending needs. I mean, you need, you need to come up with a, I mean, the, the safety building, that, that needs to be replaced. That's 250 to 500 million dollars. You're having a discussion about you know what do you do with the domes? Well, you know if you want to try to renovate them, that's at least 50 million dollars. You've got examples of what's going on with the museum? not to mention the parks and all these different types of things. The truth of the matter is whenever we have those discussions, in large part, a number of the problems again are based on the pension scandal. And I don't fault the individual employees, all of whom got an incredible an incredible windfall i understand if i spent my career working for the district attorney's office and at the end was making 125 grand and started when i got out of law school in 1982 as a couple of my friends, you know, did and and they or a couple of my law school classmates did. And somebody said, Oh, you've worked for your entire career here because of this pension change, here's a million dollars. And you know, we're also gonna give you an extra seventy grand a year. I mean of course I don't fault people for taking it. That's not a criticism of the employees. It is a criticism of a corrupt incompetent system which allowed something like this to happen and will continue to hamstring this community moving forward for a long time it's 143 when we come back would you move for a job stick around 146 jeff wagner wtmj somebody sent me a text how much does uh, david clark get well david clark collects around a hundred thousand dollars a year in pensions from the, the county, but most from his years as a city employee. He was a city police officer. I, I, I'm i not sure if he got any sort of backdrop payment because he, he only worked for the county. He was a city employee, and David Clark was only the county sheriff starting in 2002 when this whole thing ended up breaking. The people that are walking away with the enormous amounts of money and the pension backdrops, they're people who, who started in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. Um, so I I don't know if David Clark got any backdrop at all, any lump sum payment. But you know his his two pensions combined a hundred thousand uh, dollars a year or so. All right, which isn't bad either. But I mean at least that's that's the that's the pension payouts that you have. It's not it's not the backdrop, and that's what's crippling Milwaukee County. It's these huge lump sum payments in addition to. Right. The, you know, I don't think people would be necessarily beefing about somebody who worked for 30 some years and was a high paid employee walking away with 70 grand a year in a pension payment. I don't, I don't think that would be as much of an issue. It's that you walk away with 73 grand a year in pension payments and you walk away with $810,000 on top of it. And again, I don't fault employees for taking the money. If somebody offers you the money, of course you say yes. All right. Let's switch gears. Interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today about how people are deciding not to move uh, for jobs. I, 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 some, every once in a while, people will say, hey, Jeff, you, you talk occasionally about how your dad's from Baltimore, your mom's from the Annapolis area. How did you end up in, in Milwaukee? Well, we ended up in Milwaukee because my late father worked for an insurance company called Northwestern National Insurance, which was headquartered in Milwaukee, right across from... uh the the old federal building where i ended up working for a number of years that he my dad in northwestern national was based in milwaukee and it it had branch offices all over the country and my father who was from the baltimore area he started off working in the baltimore branch for northwestern national and then he took a promotion and when i was a kid we moved to pittsburgh and then he got another promotion we moved back to baltimore and then when I, I guess I was like nine or 10 years old, we moved here to Milwaukee because he got promoted again and got, came to the home office. And so I, I have been here ever since. But that was the progression that, that you had in a certain point in your life. You, you work for a company and you just follow the company wherever you, you know, you go where the job is. You get promoted. Okay. Boom. You know, we're, you're going to move. You're going to move. You're going to move. Um, it's different now. Story in the Wall Street Journal today. Fewer U.S. workers are moving around the country to seek new job opportunities as changing family ties and more openings near home make uh, migration less popular. About 3.5 million people relocated for a new job last year. That's a 10% drop from 2015. The numbers have fluctuated, but the trend is, is overall lower. People aren't moving for jobs. People are deciding they want to stay closer to home. And the reality is, especially with our labor markets right now, people that, there are jobs, but the jobs aren't necessarily in your local community. Sometimes the jobs that fit your skill level means relocating, and sometimes it might mean that you're going to, you know, relocate halfway around the country. That used to be the norm. Now, not as much so. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let me just ask you a personal question. Now, would you be willing to relocate to advance your career? I mean, it always used to be, hey, you get offered the promotion. Hey, we're going to move you into the head office. People automatically say, yeah, we're, we're packing up all the stuff, and we're moving from Pittsburgh, or we're moving from Baltimore, and we're going to move halfway around the country, etc. Now, more people are saying no. Same thing is true with more and more, I think, younger people who get out of school and, gee, I've got a job opportunity in Austin, Texas. But you know what? I'm from Chicago. I'm from Milwaukee. I'm from Madison. Even though it's a great job opportunity, I don't want to pick up and I don't want to move halfway around the country. 414-799-1620. All right. Would you be willing to relocate and, and at least why are so many people deciding they don't want to do that? Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon.
1: Hey, Jeff. I have a lot of family obligations in the state and in nearby city. So right now I wouldn't want to leave the state, but if that were no longer an issue, Um, honestly, it would depend on the location, uh, places like San Diego would, I would seriously consider, Mm -hmm. but a place like Detroit or Libya, um, (laughs) you know, or like Yemen, I wouldn't want to go to one of those
0: places. Well, I mean, thanks for I mean, be careful with San Diego because the cost of living is so very high, but it's funny. You should mention that because my niece goes to San Diego state and she's going back tomorrow. Sydney's jumping on a jet to go back out there for school. And we, we had dinner last night and I, I don't. I doubt we're going to see her again once she graduates, but I mean it, it's. I mean there you've you've got the weather issues. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I I do think one of the things that's going on nowadays is I think family matters. It, family is a is a bigger and bigger concern. I mean over. Over the years, I mean, I have had opportunities either in this industry or, you know, as practicing law to, to, you know, to move to different locations. But you sit there and you say, okay, well, my parents are here. My, my friends are here. My wife's job is here. All that type of stuff. And you begin to realize that it's just not as easy to pick up and move as it was, I think, for for maybe my parents' generation. 414-799-1620. Dean in Illinois. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff. Hey, um, you know, all I was going to add to this was that I don't know. I I, I don't think it's that people won't move. I think it's more of a sign of the times with technology. Now you can work remote um, so much more effectively than ever before. And, um, you know, with the Internet, um, with all these different programs, I'm in sales. And, um, I mean, they can see everything you're doing um, remotely. So um, you know, when you look at the numbers and you say, "Well, will people move?" I think people would certainly move if they had to, but I think the times have changed. I think companies—that's how they're—they're they're being so competitive in the workforce. They're saying, "You know, we now have the ability to um, right. to let you work remotely."
0: Yeah, I, I thanks. So. I'm sure that's true to an extent, Dean. But I mean, if you're okay, if you're a, a college professor and you're teaching at UW Milwaukee, for example. Um, the question is, do you leave there and do you go to the University of Texas at Austin? I mean, there, there you've got to move. If you're you know, selling radio advertising for a, a station in St. Louis and you get an opportunity to come to Milwaukee to sell radio advertising, you're, you're going to have to, to physically you know, relocate. Uh, Jan in Waukesha. Jan, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: Well, my son uh, and wife relocated to uh, Frankfurt, Germany Okay. Uh, five years ago. He had a job here. They rented out their house. They bought their home in Germany, and he works for an American company.
0: Do you anticipate that they're going to be coming back at some point in time?
5: Maybe in the next five to eight years.
0: Okay, but at least temporarily, he, he knew it was going to be at least a semi-permanent sort of move.
5: Yeah, he was fine with it. well
0: um, oh, no, thanks. So. Well, that's that. I mean, and and that used to always be the progression. Uh, again, it's like it used to always be. Well, of course, one of the different dynamics is for people of earlier generations. Switching careers just didn't happen a lot. The idea was going to be you start with a company and you kind of finish with that company. That's not much of it as true nowadays. What, what do they say? Most people have at least have at least three careers or something like that. Anyways, it's an interesting story. Which again, it's one of these things you talk about at dinner. If like, honey, if I got this this great job offer, and it meant. Moving halfway around the country, would we pick up and, and would we move? And one of the interesting things is more people are saying no than ever before. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, I want to talk about, well, there's a number of things that are going on. Pewaukee is considering building a baseball stadium and Kiwaskum. I love Kiwascom, but they want to call in the cops. Stick around. It's 156. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa. Think back to when you were in school. Mm-hmm. Did you ever bring something to school that you were not supposed to bring? Ooh,
6: that's a good question. I don't think so. I was a good.
0: You were a good. I was a two-shoes. goody goody. Yeah. Okay. grew You ever bring something to school that you did not you were not supposed to? You were safe, too. Hmm. All right. Well,
6: I'm guessing, well, you probably brought a lot of things to school.
0: Yeah, that you weren't, Okay. Well, yeah. all right. Now, here's here, here the backdrop on this. I, I love the movie A Christmas Story. You know, there, and there's the scene early on in the Christmas story where Ralphie and all the other kids in the classroom, they have those fake chattering teeth that yes. they put in mm-hmm. and the teacher walks in. Everybody goes, good morning, whatever. And then the teacher just walks around and she like collects all the teeth and puts them in in a drawer. Right? Okay. I was that kid and I, I I could see that. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) I could. Well, okay. I, 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 and I, I just, I have this vivid recollection of second grade. They had a, they had a rule where I went to school in second grade. And I I remember this distinctly. You were not allowed to have comic books in, I I grew up reading comic books and stuff. You were not allowed to have comic books in the classroom. I, I think, Maybe you could bring comic books and read them at recess or read them at lunch, but you weren't allowed to have them in the classroom. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know. I was probably a victim. I'm sure it was a bad influence or, or something like that. But I remember, and you had, to, you had the desks that would like open up, you know, you just kind of open up at the top. And I remember we were in class. I've, I remember this as if it was yesterday. And I've got a couple comic books. I mean, kind of in the back of the class. And, I am either showing them to one of my classmates or vice versa. Don't remember exactly, but bust it. Bust it. There's the teacher. She takes my comic books, just takes them, and puts them in, in this drawer. And I never got them back. But in this drawer, it was kind of like the crap drawer. Everything the kids brought, you know, not supposed to have spinning tops or yo-yos or whatever it was, everything went in this drawer. So, I mean, I was like the kid Ralphie, but I lost my comic books.
6: So to this day, you remember that. To
0: this day, I remember it vividly. It was, but I don't feel I was treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I did at the time, but now I, I don't. I got busted. You weren't supposed to have the comic books. I got busted. The teacher took them, right? Right. Doesn't strike you as fair? That seems being fair. Yeah. Okay. So Melissa says that was fair. All right. All right. That's my launching. Did, point. But you never got them
6: back. So never that's, got yeah. them back. Maybe no, you no. should have asked for them. Could you have asked for them back? Can I have them back?
0: You mean like at the end of the year or <laughs> something? Like at the end something? of the year, yeah. yeah. You know those well, comic I, books? I, I did. I lost the comic yeah. book. Okay, and I, I don't know what happened to the comic books. They were gone along with all the other stuff that was in the crap drawer. All right. But that is, and I'm dating myself, that is how you handled things like that back in the day. Again, at the risk of being that old guy who says, get off my lawn, kids. What What happened was you bring something to school that you're not supposed to have, and they take it from you, and maybe they give it back, or maybe they don't. Now, why do I bring this up? Because story today in the Journal Sentinel that caught my attention. Kewaskam High School. Apparently, there is going to be a discussion today about whether or not the Kiwascom High School District should get a village ordinance Wait for this that would allow for the ticketing of students who violate their cell phone policy for a third time. The vice principal of the school says it is a necessary step to rein in what has become the number one discipline problem in Kiwaskum, the high school. Now, first of all, let me let me say this, and I, I don't say this facetiously at all, but if the number one problem at Kiwaskum High School for discipline is kids having cell phones in class, you're doing really well. <laughs> you, you you know you should be counting your lucky stars. It's not heroin. It's not you know shootings. It's okay cell phones. But I understand. Apparently they have this policy that says you're not supposed to use cell phones in, in class, which I I by the way have no problem with at all. I, I think that's that's perfectly. Reasonable um, to say you can't use cell phones in class, but apparently people aren't paying attention to to this, and kids keep doing this. Um, you know, they they keep you know bringing their cell phones. They have them out in class. They're using them when they're not supposed to. So Kiwascom is thinking about essentially getting the authorities involved, and for third or more time offenders, having them ticketed. All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, maybe I'm being overly simplistic here, and I'm willing to discuss this, but I don't think this is a police matter. I mean, I, I think th- this is this is a relatively simple thing. If you have a policy that says cell phones are contraband, Just like my school back in the day had a policy that said you can't have comic books in the classroom, it seems to me it's rather simple. You violate the policy. You don't need to get the police involved. You don't need to issue a municipal ticket. You just need to confiscate the cell phone. And then I guess you can decide what you end up doing with it. Do you give it back to the kid at the end of the day? Do you turn it over to the parents? Do you keep it? I mean, all those, I think, are fair subjects of discussion. And I do think it is legitimate to say, all right, we don't want cell phones in classrooms. I have no problem at all with the idea that we're going to ban cell phones from the classrooms. I just have an issue with getting municipal authorities involved in issuing tickets. To me, this is a matter that's for the school. You have the policy if it's contraband. And, again, it's not illegal. I mean, it's diff- look, it's different if you catch somebody with dope. It's different if you catch somebody with a knife. It's different if you catch somebody with a gun. But when you're talking about something that is otherwise in and of itself, not contraband, I, I just, I don't think that you, I don't think that you should be, uh, again, getting the cops involved. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line we discuss next. All right. Should we be getting police involved to issue tickets for people who bring contraband to school? My response is simply no. You just say this is the school policy. It's not allowed. This is the rule. You break the rule. We're taking the cell phone from you. 215 Jeff Wagner WTMJ 4147991620 that's the academic mortgage talk and text line what do you think 217 Jeff Wagner WTMJ so I guess I guess here's uh, Kiwascom it says okay we have this problem with the rules you can't use cell phones in classrooms Kids use cell phones in classrooms. We can't figure out how to make the problem stop. So we want to get local law enforcement involved. We want the cops to be able to issue tickets to kids who pull their cell phones out in classrooms. Well, I don't see this as a, I don't see this as a job for the police. I see this as a job as for the school. Implement the policy. You can't have them in classrooms. If you pull them out, we're going to confiscate them and then decide when you're going to give them back, if ever. If people won't surrender them, well, then you suspend them. 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Twin Lakes. John, you're on WTMJ.
2: afternoon, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, Hi. I'm a law enforcement officer, and you wouldn't believe some of the calls we go to at the schools. You know, arguments, they want tickets issued. Uh, Facebook fights, they want tickets issued. This is just a total lack of control these schools have with these kids. I don't agree with this whatsoever. You don't need law enforcement coming in. And issuing tickets for something that's not illegal. I mean, where does it end after this with
0: right. cell phones? Right. Yes. Yeah, and see, I mean, and, and again, John, that's my point. It's one thing if you catch a, if you catch somebody who's brought a gun or brought, you know, drugs or a knife or something, things that would, would be contraband. Well, I understand you want to get law enforcement involved because you've arguably got a criminal violation, but there's nothing criminal about having a cell phone. It's a violation of a school rule. And to me, the school has to deal with it, and not expect the cops to drop whatever they're doing and come over and write a ticket.
2: Exactly, with all the negative uh, limelight on law enforcement, the schools now want more enforcement in the schools to issue petty little cell phone tickets. It's unbelievable. I disagree with it a hundred percent. The schools need to control their own students and make some policy changes on their end.
0: Right, exactly. Thanks for the call. And, and so then, then you have you know you have a rule, and, and you just. And, again, the school board gets together, and they, re- they are reflective of the community. School board gets together, and they say, okay, this is what the policy is going to be. This stuff is contraband. You can't have it. You can't you can't bring it out in the classrooms or whatever, and people end up violating it. And this is what the penalty is is going to be. I mean, to me, it's a cop-out to expect law enforcement to get involved. And then, you know, okay, let, let's take this to the next logical step. The police come. They write a ticket for the kid the kid decides they're not going to pay the ticket their parents decide they're not going to pay the ticket you know what what are you going to do then i mean where are you going to go with this isn't this just something that the school should deal with directly 4147991620 jason in hartford jason you're on wtmj
5: i i think um it should be confiscated and a note sent home with the student saying that your student's cell phone was confiscated, and it will be returned when you, the parent, come
0: and pick it up yeah right exactly, and then, if this becomes a recurring problem, well, at some point in time you you know you end up figuring out how to address it. you say it's going to be kept in our possession or 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 however however you're going to do it, and if some parent wants to sue to get it back you you deal with it but but yeah, I mean. Do you need to? The- you have
5: to get the you have to get the parents involved in their kid's misbehavior one way or another, you know. And it's like you said about not paying the ticket. Well, then the parents not going to you know either the parent has to pay it or refuses to pay it, and it, you know it kind of snowballs from there. So you know, you the, the, your kid will get his phone back when you come and get it.
0: Right. Exactly. No. Thanks. And if you're unhappy, thanks for God, And If you're unhappy about this rule too bad, it's going to be your problem, you know, you're the one that's got to deal with this um, because we can't have your kids pulling out their cell phones in the middle of the class. Now, thanks to I, again to me, I don't, I, I'm not denying that it's undoubtedly a problem. I, I'm just thinking this idea of passing the buck to, to the cops, I, it, to me, it, it's not a police matter. Bringing the cell phone to school is a rule violation. It's not a – I mean, think about, all right, your workplace, right? You bring – I don't know. They, they say, let, let's say you're, you're not supposed to have cell phones in your workplace. I understand that's a silly thing. But all right. You, and then you get caught with a cell phone. Well, do you expect the police to be called to come in and write a ticket? No, your employer is going to take whatever disciplinary action they, they say is appropriate. And maybe you disagree. Maybe you think, no, Jeff, I think confiscation is too strong or whatever. Oh, OK. Well, then you impose some other sort of penalty. But but it's not a police matter. At least it seems to me it's not a police matter. Jim in Sheboygan. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
8: Uh, Jeff, I, I disagree with you on this. Uh, I agree it's a problem, but here, here's what happens if you confiscate these things. Let's say it's a, a junior in high school. It's a girl. She's got her driver's license. Her mom shoots her a text during the middle of the day and says, hey, you've got to pick up your brother after school. I can't. I'm busy at work. Um, you've got to pick up uh, your brother at the, at the pool or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, she never gets that text. There's a little kid sitting somewhere, and there's a problem. What, the school, what some of the schools are doing is do this. You put your phone in your locker for the day. That's where it stays. And then at breaks and in between classes, you can check your phone, but it stays in your locker. I think that's a perfect way to
0: handle okay, it. Okay, but what if, what if a kid violates that? All right, So that, that's the rule. It's got to be in your locker, but you have kids that don't do that. So they've got no. it in classroom, and then they pull it out. What do you do then?
8: Then you take, you, you, you take the kid down to the principal's office, just like every other infraction, or you tell the kid first, hey, go put that in your locker right now. Otherwise, we're going down to the principal's office. Maybe you'll get an in-school suspension. Okay,
0: well, well like oh, let, let's take that to the next step. Okay, so then then you do that. They get talked to by the principal. The following day, they'd end up doing the, the same thing. Your right. response is just to give them an in-school suspension or maybe an out-of-school suspension.
8: Well, I mean, it's it's like anything else. If you just constantly keep mm-hmm. doing it, well, then I, just like any other rule of infraction, the parents get called and you drag them in for a meeting. I mean, what's the? I remember we didn't chew gum, and the teacher would say spit that gum out. Well, right. so we took another piece of gum in our mouth. I mean, you know, I mean, eventually you got to just get so harsh that you know that that you do eventually break the child. I guess is what you say and, <laughs> and they follow the rules.
6: Yeah,
0: Jim, and I, I get what you're saying. I guess I don't. And and if that's how a school district decides that they want to handle it, that we bring them down the principal and we give them an in-school suspension and you decide that that's better than, here, I'm taking the phone from them. I, I guess, candidly, I am not sympathetic to this notion that after, if you have repeat violators who continue to have the the school that who continue to bring the cell phone to class, that then, oh well this is terrible, she missed that message to pick up her, her kid. And again, I would tell the parents, I would say, look, we I actually I like the idea that one of our first callers had. You take the cell phone and then you say, Okay, we're this is in our possession. You notify the parents and until you come down and pick it up, you know, we are going to hold it. In addition I I think maybe I'd go with the suspensions or something like that if this is that big a problem. I guess how you exactly decide to impose the discipline, whether you actually take it from them and then hold it, I'll leave that up to the individual school board. I don't think it's unreasonable to take it from them and then, you know, return it to the parents and then also look at some sort of discipline. That doesn't strike me as a bad idea. I guess the bigger point is to me, this is a matter. However the school decides it wants to handle this, you know, in consultation with the, the community. I think that's that's fine. The idea that you need to get the cops involved, though, is where I draw the line. And my guess is, you know, the the police officers in Kiwascom have more important things to do than to be called to, you know, a high school three or four times a week to write a I don't know $15 ticket $25 ticket $50 ticket whatever it's going to be to some kid who's pulled out his or her cell phone in class just deal with it on the school level that's my point point. 226 Jeff Wagner WTMJ 228 Jeff Wagner WTMJ here's a text I don't think many adult callers know how high school works I'm a high schooler myself We have to keep the phones in our backpack, which we cart around with us. Repeat offenders can get it taken away for the remainder of class and then have it back. Now, I think it varies from high school to high school. My point is, if you've got the repeat offenders, why give the phone back? And and I understand, oh, we might get this particular call. You You seize the phone for the repeat offenders. This is the third time Jeff has pulled out that cell phone in class. And then you call mom or dad and you say, we're holding it. I I actually do like the idea. We're holding it. You can come down or you can pick it up. But, you know, this is an ongoing problem. I just don't think you need to have the police involved and and coming down and showing up and writing tickets every every time some kid pulls out a cell phone improperly in class. Hey, join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th as the Brewer Community Foundation's Hitting for the Cycle event. Together, we will conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park, followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the Cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620-WT. WTMJ Cares is presented by First Bank Financial Center. All right. What's going on with Southridge and what's going on out in Pewaukee? That is all coming up in the next two segments of the program. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Everybody's freaked out about the rain. I don't know, it's just going to be a little bit of rain, but uh, be, be mindful of this. Join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th. This is this Saturday as the Brewer Community Foundations present their hitting for the cycle event. Together, we can conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates hitting for the cycle. It benefits Dream Bikes. It benefits the Urban Ecology Center and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign up, text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620. WTMJ CARES is presented by First Bank Financial Center. All right. If you have been around in this community for a number of years you can remember when, on the northwest side of Milwaukee, like i don't know seventy sixth and Brown deer, there was this thing called Northridge. Now, groom, you are dating yourself you you have no idea when I speak of northridge you you know it's a you don't think you've been there well, yeah, because it's, it's been gone for a while, but when I was a kid, growing up around here, Northridge was the place. That you went to, to hang out in. If, if you grew up on the, you know, on the, in the North Shore, you grew up in Mequon or whatever, it was a huge shopping center. It had movie theaters, it had restaurants, it had various anchor department stores. It was surrounded by a chain of stores. I mean, Northridge was a big deal. And it was the place where, you know, if you were a kid growing up in the, I don't know, 70s or 80s, you went to hang out at Northridge. Northridge was built a few years after Southridge, and so if you think about Southridge, for people who did not live here at the time, Northridge was essentially the equivalent of Southridge. Very, very similar. Now, Northridge fell on hard times. Um, There were, and and we've talked about, you know, why Northridge went, what, what went wrong there there was a a perception and to an extent a reality that it became unsafe suburban women stopped shopping there stores closed down it got into this death spiral there was an instant where instance where a guy ended up killing his wife and blamed it on african american kids and that got out there but but the, the thing went under and and actually you know, the city of Milwaukee has this, this vacant property. I mean, then they've been trying to feel uh, different ideas. They've been trying to figure out what to do with this for the last 15 or 20 years. That's just the bottom line. That whole area on the northwest side is pretty much, you know, cratered. And it's, it's almost painful to drive past that area now and see what it is when you think of what it was back in, in the day. All right, so now you have the issue with Southridge, located down in, you know, the Greenfield-Greendale area. Um, it, it's actually, in Southridge was, again, before there was Northridge, there was Southridge. And Southridge has lived on even after, you know, Northridge has failed. Well, all right, Southridge has had a couple different blows. They used to have five anchor tenants, big department stores. They've now lost Sears. They are losing Boston Store, and now they've just announced that the Kohl's Store, which has been one of the anchor tenants, the Kohl's Store in Southridge, that's going to be closing at the end of September. So the series has been gone for a while. Boston Store is closing at the end of this month in a week or two if it's not already closed, and Coles is going to be closing on September 29th. Now, the Kohl's store that's in Southridge is going to be moving about a mile or two away. It's uh, moving to a, a development um, in, a green, in Greenfield, and it's planning to open September 30th. So Southridge is now in the position that a number of these area malls are. They're trying to scramble to figure out, okay, how are we going to replace this? Now, the plan is... They've got apparently a Dick's Sporting Goods store, which is going to be moving in, and they've got a Golf Galaxy. Golf Galaxy is one of the, uh, again, kind of a big box retailer golf stores, but in, in but it's a specialty store. There's no question about it. So now you have Southridge that is struggling with vacancies, just like you have other places around here, like the uh, Bay Short Center, which are struggling with vacancies as well. But Southridge has been able to survive a lot of the comings and goings, So now they're losing Kohl's, they're losing Boston Store, they've lost Sears. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the future for Southridge? Do you think Southridge is going to be able to, I don't know, continue to operate? Or are they facing the same situation that a lot of these big, particularly enclosed malls have faced? Which is just essentially people people's shopping habits change and the mall experience is not what it was in the seventies and the eighties and maybe even the early nineties. Four one Four one four seven nine sixty twenty, that is the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All malls are facing challenges in this area. Mayfair Mall has its challenges. Brookfield Square certainly has its challenges. Bayshore Town Center has its challenges. Southridge has its challenges. Is Southridge going to be able to survive the departure of Coles, Sears, and Boston Store? 414-799-1620. I've got a theory. I will share that with you, and we'll discuss. What about Southridge? Is Southridge about to go the way of Northridge. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment, 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Mike. Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think?
8: I'm thinking, Saltridge can survive if they become more of an, like an entertainment or especially store stop, like sporting goods, uh, uh, entertainment, like uh, gaming place, like I think like Dave and Buster's or something like that. Uh, that's oh, a, I, I hate yeah. Dave. Do you
0: like Dave? I'm just. Do you like Dave and Buster's?
8: I've never been in one, uh-huh. uh, and I really don't care but <laughs> I, I know the millennials go there,
0: right, yes so. I mean right I, I okay, I've been open my okay Gru, who's producing the show, you're not a David Buster's guy, I'm not a David Buster's guy, no, no but I no, understand um, what you're saying, yeah,
8: and you, uh I think uh that's the way they have to end up going, and I think Northridge could be a great prison site <laughs> thank,
0: well they, thanks for going. that's always been one of the ideas here we'll uh we'll do that i you know um. The, the idea uh, the way shopping malls operate, it, it's there, there are challenges. Um, let's say I have a text here. Malls are going to be obsolete. Amazon is killing retail stores. Amazon is the new mall. Now, it, it here, here's the thing. Matter of fact, I, I have some friends who are really, really smart and have worked in this, this business for years. One of the new trends, if you look, you see a lot of the what I'm going to describe as the strip malls. And many of those are very successful, not necessarily the places where you go to, to buy clothing. But think as you drive through, drive around your community and chances are you're going to see some of these smaller type of, of, of malls. And the malls, there they are strip malls, not the formal huge malls. And, and what, what are you going to find in them? Well, maybe you're going to find like a Supercuts haircut thing, and you're going to find maybe a, a Subway or maybe a Jimmy John's or maybe a Taco Bell, and you're going to find maybe there's going to be a bank in there, and maybe there's going to be a, a Verizon store or a Sprint store or whatever. you're going. And, and those malls in general are, are very, very successful, those type of strip malls. That, in many respects, I think might be the wave of the future. Now, I, I'm not predicting the end of Southridge, but this is a blow. It is. There's just no way around it. Let's talk to Connie in Milwaukee. Connie, or are on WTMJ.
4: I'm um, listening to the other caller. Uh-huh. I was thinking about a Green Bay Packers store, something that people really like. Mm-hmm. Marshall, uh, Dollar a Dollar Tree store, Dollar General store, a good restaurant. Something that people really want to do. You know, after they go shopping, they can eat. You know, right. something that's... Really, just don't draw their attention. They don't want to play games. They they just want to eat, go shopping. Like I said, a Levi store, blue jean store, yeah. something that people are really wearing, like um, sweatshops, a sweat. How you wear sweatsuits, you know, right. like um, when they go for yoga. They gotta really go to New York. I was thinking about Atlanta and um. Mm-hmm. New York, like Macy's, go to some of these malls and like Shark Tank. you Know that that TV show, right. how they be having a lot of people inventing stuff that people really need. Right. in a in a baby store because so many people are still having babies. You, you giving what I'm saying? I do. Baby boom is still going on. You well, you giving what I'm saying? No, I, have,
0: I, I do. You know. Know. No, Connie, thanks for calling. I mean, it's, if I would say the most successful mall right now around here would be Mayfair. Mayfair. Mayfair is always packed, and again, maybe this is just anecdotal, but it seems to me whenever I go over there, Mayfair, Mayfair is pretty much always packed. And Mayfair, to your point, Connie, they have an interesting mix of of stores. Um, you, you've got restaurant, you've got the restaurants that are clearly attracting people. You've got a, a number of stores there that that people you know want to. You know, want to go to just a, a wide variety of them. You know, and Mayfair is is succeeding. At the same time, I think, especially when you're talking about consumer goods, there's there's there are certain you know limit. There's certain limitations. There's only so many stores that are out there. I, I think Southridge really needs to think outside the box. I'm I'm not sure, and nothing against exporting goods. I understand that that's that's a draw, but. You know, is Dick Sporting Goods going to be the thing that kind of turns that around and that serves as a replacement for a Kohl's and serves as a replacement for a Boston store? I, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. Mel on the north side. Mel, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, I'm a big fan of Mayfair. I just think it is always packed. They're doing something there. And I think there's also something in location mm-hmm. as well. Southridge being on the far south side uh um, if you've got a major amount of individuals here on the north side don't want to go all the way there to shop yep mayfair is just in a great location now they've got the mayfair collectibles
0: Mayfair collection yeah
1: yeah i don't know if you've seen the, and they, oh yeah i've been always. out there sure they're they're booming up and building up in that area you don't boom up and build up unless you've done your research to know that they're going to be continuous sales so the people who used to go downtown to Grand Avenue are going to Mayfair now. You've got all of the individuals who live in north side of Milwaukee. You've got the Wala Tosa individuals who also shop there.
0: Brookfield, it's just a- you know, you got people from Brookfield who are coming oh, in. Really? Sure, that's yeah.
1: true. That's true. So yeah. I-, I think location is an important part, and that's going to be the tough one for Southridge.
0: It's a location deal as well. No, I think no. You make you make a great point, seriously, because I hadn't, I you know, I I hadn't really thought through the Mayfair collection, but the Mayfair collection, which is to the to the west of where Mayfair shopping center is, that's that's a huge hit. I mean, and you have again, that's kind of the multi-purpose thing that's going on. You have a number of. Restaurants there that are attracting people. You've got the, the stores that are kind of unique that are there. It's, I mean, that area is thriving. And I think you make an interesting point with location. It's centrally located. So you, you draw people from Wauwatosa. You draw people from Milwaukee. You draw people from Brookfield. It's not that much of a chore to get there if you live, you know, in Ozaki County. And, and that's, that's why I think, again, just off the top of my head, if I if I had to say which store I think is, is which mall I think is really surviving, it, it's Mayfair. I, I don't you know, I mean I, I remember Southgate, when Southgate used to be down by Southridge. Southgate, one of the very first malls in the area. You know, Southgate ended up going under. I think I think Southridge candidly has challenges. Am I willing to predict it's going to go the same way as Northridge? No. But I mean Southridge has challenges. I think Bayshore Town Center has a, a lot of challenges moving forward as they continue to lose stores. I don't end up know I don't know what the future is going to be. I think that new mall, the Brookfield Commons, I think they're going to have some challenges moving forward as well. It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens in the community over the next five to ten years and, and figure out how these shopping centers are particularly old style malls, are able to reinvent themselves understanding that You've got all this space that you have to end up filling and how many stores are there nowadays that are going to be out there to fill it? Like I say, you you look at some of these, what I'm calling the strip malls now, they they thrive. you got the batteries plus, you've got the cost cutters, you've got the, uh, again, Jimmy John's or Taco Bell or whatever. You've got the the haircut place. You've got all those different things. Maybe you've got a bank in there. You've got the phone store. Those places, I think those malls are doing really, really well. I I don't know. The big old style malls, I think it's a challenge, and I think Southridge is at the forefront of that. It's 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.